You heard the tall tale of the atheist professor and the bear? Anybody heard that one? Atheist professor walks into the forest and um, walks in and he sees the rivers and the streams and the lakes. He sees the vegetation. He sees the rolling hills and the beauty of nature. And he, according to him, gives thanks to evolution. What a wonderful process of evolution is around. Then he sees some of the different animal and wildlife and he gives thanks to evolution as well. And then he hears this wrestling in the forest and this big old grizzly bear comes out. Big old grizzly bear comes out and comes charging at the man. The man's running and goes, guess if I believe in the survival of the fittest, I'm doomed. He's running, and he trips, and he falls down, and turns over, and the bear's on top of him, about to pounce, and then he cries out to God. See, we're always, nobody's an atheist in a foxhole. He cries out to God, and about that moment, it's a tall tale, about that moment, God stops time. Light comes down, stops the bear from pouncing on this guy. He said, you know, why should I? at this point, help you. I mean, your, your whole life, you've not only denied me, but you've taught other people to deny me as well. And the atheist professor says, well, you got a point. It would be pretty hypocritical of me to call on you now because I really don't believe you exist. So how about this? How about you convert the bear and then things will be okay with me? And so God says, okay, I'll grant you this request. And then time comes back. The bear comes to as the converted bear. He looks down at the man and he looks up to heaven and he puts his paws together. And he says, Lord, thank you for this great meal you're about to provide. See, if things get bad enough, it's amazing how your perspective changes. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've even been there with the Lord. Your circumstances change. And it's amazing what new directions people will look for dependence. But more importantly than that, how you choose to see the world is about perspective, is it not? See, perspective dictates who you are thankful to and what you are thankful for. See also the bear. Who are you dependent upon? Who are you thankful for? What are you thankful for this morning, C3? How do you express that gratefulness? Who do you express it to? And maybe you say, you know what? As I think about this idea of giving thanks, you know, I find myself, if I'm just honest, I find myself being too busy searching for and looking for the things that I don't have, and I don't really stop and thank God for the things that I do have. And maybe, if you're honest, maybe you're too busy chasing the things that other people have that you don't. Or maybe you're just too busy. Or maybe you look at the things in your life that you take for granted, and you think about giving thanks to God, the abundant blessings that God gives you and me living in Magnolia, Texas, compared to other places in the world, and we take for granted the little things that God gives us that aren't really or shouldn't be really assumed. 
So whatever the case is, wherever you land on giving thanks, wherever you land on being dependent upon God for your needs, for your wants, how's that working out for you? Wherever you're at, is there a contentment to you and about your life? Is there a peace that marks your life? Is there a gratefulness? We've been studying really the Lord's Prayer Matthew chapter 6, which is really the disciples' prayer because Jesus wouldn't have prayed that prayer, right? We've been talking about the non, the, excuse me, the essential value of expressing our dependence upon God in prayer. We saw it in the life of Jesus, that it was non-negotiable all through Jesus' life to be dependent upon his Father, even though he was the God-man. We saw the first lesson or the first class that Jesus teaches on prayer is that of praise, that we don't start with gimme, gimme, gimme. We start with expressing praise to God for who he is and also what he's done. And then last week, we looked at the importance of confession, that prayer is also about confession, to tell God what he already knows, to be dependent upon God and confess our sins, our debts, our transgressions to him, and also forgive others, which is a little hard. And we come to really the third master class of Jesus on prayer, from praise to confession to giving thanks. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be back in this disciples' prayer. We'll at least start there, but we'll also move to a number of other texts because Jesus says a little bit about giving thanks because giving thanks is more of an attitude than it is a pattern of our prayers. Philippians 4 tells us, be anxious for nothing. But prayer and supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. So it's more of an attitude that we have. But we'll still start in Matthew 6. Let me read it. Let me read the Lord's Prayer as we know it. Pray like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's praise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That will be the important phrase we look at a little bit this morning. And forgive us our debts, that's confession, as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look really closely at verse 11. You see Jesus teaching his disciples that one of the elements and the patterns of our prayer is to ask for daily bread. So it's an ask in this text, but something else I think is implied Daily bread. Have these disciples been receiving daily bread their whole life? Yeah. If you look just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 6, remember Jesus talking about how we ought not be anxious. And then he says, consider the birds of the air, how God feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field, how God clothes them. And then he says, your heavenly Father knows what you need And so not only is there an ask here, but there's actually an implication from verse 11, and it's this. We ought to give God thanks for his daily provisions. Daily provisions. That's your first thought this morning. It's interesting because you see this idea all the way through the scriptures. Remember when uh, the people of God had sinned against God and God put them in the wilderness? What did they have to do day by day? They had to pray to God, and God would give them what? Bread or manna. Did he give it for the next day and the next day and the next day or just that daily provision? Just that day. 
And so you see the people of God dependent upon God for their daily bread. You see Jesus often, even as we think about communion, that God, Jesus gave thanks to God before he broke the bread. You see it in the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000 where he gives thanks for the loaves and the fishes. You see a thankfulness expressed all the way through the Bible of daily provision. You see Jesus even spiritually saying, you know what? That daily physical bread is good, but I am the bread of life. I am what you really need. Do you know him? Do you know the bread of life? Here's the challenge. The challenge is this. I don't live day to day, probably. I don't, you don't live day to day either, do you? I mean, when I go to the grocery store, I get like four or five loaves of bread because I have teenagers and they eat us out of house and home. And we take like three or four of those loaves and we put them in the freezer and two days later, after they finish the other loaf, we get that one out. I don't live day to day on bread. You don't live day to day on bread either, I would assume. There are people close to us, maybe a couple miles click this way or click that way, that absolutely do. But you and I, likely, if you're in this room, you, you may not live day to day. See, it's not if we have, it's how many, right? It's not if we eat, it's whether it's Chick-fil-A, Whataburger, Chipotle. I vote Chipotle, right? It's not if, it's how many. If it's, it's not if we have shelter as much as it is how much space do we need or have. 1,500 square foot, 2,500 square foot, 35, on and on and on. This is not like that for us. The first century, even wealthy people, the, the daily need was more in their purview, wasn't it? But we don't live that way. And so how can we cultivate a heart to realize that the reality is that food supply, try going through a hurricane. Guess what? That food supply that you think is there is not there. When you go through a pandemic, when a war happens in Ukraine, things disappear off the shelves. So we may believe that we are very far removed from not having our daily provision, but the truth of the matter, the reality of the matter is we are. And maybe you're sitting there going, I got a safe house, I got two years, maybe so. Right? But the deal is daily provision. We take it for granted. I take it for granted all the time. But the reality is, is that could be taken just like that. What daily provisions are you thankful for? What daily provisions do you take for granted? I know I do. This week, as I prepared a sermon about giving thanks, it caused me, rightfully so, to consider these things, same things in my own life. And there's this time in the year, once a year, that you, when you get older, you really don't want to highlight for anybody. But I did the math. Um, I've been alive, as of today, 17,520 days. I'm not telling you how old I am. You're just going to have to go do the division. That means that I've been alive for 420,450 hours or so. I've lived 25 million minutes and I've breathed breath for 1.5 billion seconds. None of those breaths are because I'm breathing them. Every one of those breaths 
is because God is sustaining the breath that he gives. And I'll be honest, I didn't think about that at all. I didn't, haven't thought about that every day. I thought about that because I'm preaching it. I thought about that because it's that day. And we don't think about the daily provisions, even the minute-by-minute minute provisions that God supplies for us. I've eaten over 52,560 meals if I wanted it, and I've never gone without. There is reason to give God thanks, is there not? For daily provision that he provides that we don't even think about. How are you training yourself to be thankful? How are you training your kids to be thankful in the abundance that we live in? And here's the deal. Abundance is a good thing. Abundance is a blessing. We're not rejecting what God has given us. It's a blessing to live in the day and age in the place that we do. We ought to praise God and give God thanks for that. And yet in our hearts, what often happens is that we forget. We just want more. The Bible says, count your many blessings, name them. Name them. The Bible doesn't say that. That's a hymn. Name them one by one. So I would suggest this. If you want to cultivate, if you want to cultivate a heart that gives thanks, that starts on our knees. It starts by giving God thanks for daily provision, but what else? What else should we be thankful for? How can we cultivate a thankful heart in our lives as well as on our knees? You see, the model prayer of Jesus kind of stops here. I can't make other things fit into that. So here's what I want to do. We're going to turn a few pages today, which we normally don't do. But I want to show you a biblically a, a theology of giving thanks to God in prayer. So we'll turn a few pages. I know you're not used to that. We're usually in one text expositing it. But I want to go a number of pages to a number of pages because giving thanks to God is not only daily provision, but there's a number of other things, and you can't miss it in the Bible. You can't miss it anywhere in the Bible of all the different kinds of things and all the different kinds of ways in which we can give God thanks. Your second thought is this. We give thanks to God, and I'm going to explain it, for his mysterious providences. Mysterious providences. Listen to these verses. These verses are going to go down like apple cider vinegar. It's not going to feel good, but it's healthy. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Rejoice always, always. How's that land on you? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in some circumstances, all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you. All circumstances. That's hard. Ephesians 5.20 says it this way, give thanks always and for some things, for everything, good, bad, and different, everything, give thanks to God for? The, God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're thinking about it right now, yeah, but what about when I don't feel like it? What about when I'm depressed? What about when my life is hard when my life is hard and I don't want to and I don't feel like praying, I don't feel like reading my Bible, I don't feel like coming to church, the beautiful truth, this is a hard truth, but the beautiful truth of this text is this, is that giving thanks is not about my emotions. Emotions are real. You can feel a certain way about anything, and yet this is a command. This is a volitional choice. 
And while that is a hard truth, and you may be imagining the different circumstances where you go, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that because of this and this and this. Can I tell you something incredible? If you've lived long enough and you've gone through enough mess, what you start to realize is this. At the same time, you feel a certain way that is brutal and difficult, and I don't know those situations for you, but they are hard situations, and we often let our emotions dictate our actions, and this text is saying, no, you can give thanks in and through the storm, in and through the storm that you can give thanks. Here's the thing. You can feel a certain way, and it may not be the first thing that you want to do, but it's exactly what you need. More than any other way where you're going to try to work something out. When you go, hey, I'm going to go over here to this other path and and deal with this this other way because I don't feel like it. You are taking off. You are walking away from the very source of comfort and help. Challenging but beautiful truth. The very place that is best for us to go when we are hurting and we are in pain, and we are suffering, is the very hand of God. And we can continue to be thankful. That's a beautiful truth if you're walking through it. Because it tells you that what I'm walking through and the feeling that I have is not disconnected. It is not mutually exclusive to giving thanks to God and coming to Him. And guess what? Some of us go, well, that seems kind of fake. It's not fake. It's real. See also Joseph. When he was in the pit because his brothers put him there. And he cries out to God at the same time that he's hurting. See also David. When Saul is chasing him all the way through the Psalms, he's open and honest about his real feelings before God. And yet he praises God and gives God thanks. See also Job. Job is going through something that I don't think any of us has gone through. And you look at that and go, whoa. And he still praises God for who he is in the storm. See also Moses in the wilderness where he still gives God praise and gives God thanks even though they're wandering and wandering and wandering. And he's done like thousands of funerals. See also Jesus. Where he's going to a cross and yet he's still expressing his trust and his faith in his father. So we give thanks for God, even for his mysterious providences. And when I say providences, here's what I mean. See, God has this sovereign plan and the sovereign will, and the way in which he works that, the way he puts on gloves and kind of works that plan that we can see, that's his providences. That's how he's weaving his plan. And we often look at that plan and go, I got a better way. There's a better way that could have happened, Lord. See, sometimes his providences are beautiful and we love them and sometimes his providences and you're going scratching your head. But in the emotion of that, in the challenge of that, he calls us to trust him and give him thanks. So rather than walk away, we turn to God. Let me, let, let me help maybe illustrate that. You know what cows do? Here we go. It's either golf or ranch. Here we go. You know what cows do when a, when a storm's coming? I've watched them do it. When a storm's coming, an impending storm, it's not going away, it's moving toward the ranch, what you can watch cows do is they start, as you and I probably, walking away from the storm, going in the opposite direction of the storm. 
to get away from it like you and I would do. And so as they walk, that impending storm is coming, and it comes and overtakes them, but they're walking with it at this point. And they're continuing to be in the storm. If they would have just stayed still, the storm wouldn't have lasted as long, and there wouldn't have been as many potential consequences after the storm leaves. And so cows walk away from the storm, but that means that they end up staying in the storm longer. Contrast that with a buffalo. Have you heard this? I looked it up just to make sure. I don't know buffalo. I know cows. A buffalo, however, doesn't just stand still. When an impending storm is coming and it's upon them, the buffalo will walk toward the storm. He will run toward the storm. And you know where I'm going with this. He goes toward the storm. That takes some courage. And yet as the storm comes this way and he's running into it, Guess what the net result is? He's in the storm a shorter amount of time. And the consequences will likely be less. Listen, when the storms of life come, and there will be circumstances and there will be storms that come that you can't escape. Some of them you cause, some of them you don't cause, some of them just happen. So we're called to to at least stay where we are, trusting his hand rather than doing what our emotions want us to do, to run away, to squirm, to grumble, to be frustrated, because that storm is going to be tougher, and it's going to be longer, and there's likely going to be more consequences. So let me ask you this morning, do your emotions run your actions? Much of the time, they actually do, if you look at it. They do in my life. Do we run away? Do we avoid? Here, listen, we need to pray like the buffalo goes through the storm. We need to be praying people like the buffalo goes, that we don't run away from the storm. Not because we're not scared, not because our emotions aren't heightened, but because we know that and we can trust God through the storm, that he will care for us through that storm. And in life, let me just translate that a little bit. In life, if you've gone through a lot, or maybe you're usually a little bit older, you're like an old buffalo. If you've gone through more, you tend to at least stay a little more still when something happens because you've been there and you've done that. Not always. Old buffaloes run too, I'm sure. It breaks down at some point. Young buffalo, but, but if you're young, what often happens is you don't, you've never experienced this before. If you haven't gone through a lot of things, you haven't experienced a storm before, you're going to tend to run. But if that happens a number of times, you're like, man, this is a bad way to deal with stuff. Here's what you need. You need some old buffaloes in your life. You need some people that have been there, done that. Maybe it's particular to the situation that you find yourself in that you can entrust yourself to. That's the beauty that God gives us people in our life that have been further down the road and dealt with the same thing. Maybe even done it the same way you've done it and learned from it and next time didn't do it that way. So God gives us his providences. And some of them are hard, but he calls us to give him thanks in and through it. He also gives us daily provision. And third, and I'm hinting at it already, we ought to be a people biblically, and you see it all over, that gives thanks to God for the people that he puts in your life, particularly faithful people of God that he puts in your life. I want to show you a pattern in the New Testament of what Paul does with people. 
We tend to think of the Apostle Paul as this like theological stud. He's amazing, but he's this like Sigma long ranger guy that doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any people. But the further and deeper that you look at his life, what you begin to notice is there are people and teams of people all around him. There are people on missionary journeys with him that go and do ministry. There are people in places where the gospel is spread and churches are planted that he raises up for a church in that place as a team. When he's in prison, what does he do? He wants people to come and minister to him and care for him. So Paul is not this lone ranger guy that we often make him out for, that he doesn't need anyone because he just knows Jesus so well. He's surrounded by people. He's not a maverick, but Notice something, and I'm going to just popcorn through these passages so you see it a number of places. I want you to notice how he gives thanks to God for people who are faithful. The people of God that he knows that have been faithful, who have demonstrated faith, and the encouragement that he gives them. Notice the nuance in the way he does it. I think we have some passages up here. I want to show you this, and I want to make the point in a number of ways, Romans 1.8 to the Romans, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. This is the, the churches in Rome. Because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So he encourages them. He doesn't come to them, and this is a little nuance. He doesn't come to them and say, you're awesome. He says, thank you, Lord, for these people. These people are reading this, going, that's me. He's encouraged by that. He gives them encouragement. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.4. I give thanks to who? God. Always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ. And so he's thankful, even the Corinthians, the pesky, unfaithful, disobedient Corinthians, that grace has come to them. He encourages them by saying, I thank God for you. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, the Ephesians will be in the book of Ephesians here in a few weeks. And we start our next series For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, he's encouraging them, I do not cease to give thanks for you from God, remembering you in my prayers. He's praying for people. He's thankful for people. He's thanking God for people. I love this one. This is the last one I'm going to show you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, and there's more. It's all the way through the New Testament. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God the Father of your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what you see in the life of Paul, who's not this Lone Ranger, who is a team guy, you see him giving thanks for the people of God. For the people of God. He thanks them for serving and laboring and sharing the faith and their growth in the faith. He gives thanks to God. How often are we a people who are giving thanks for the people that God has put in our lives to help us grow, to build us up? Anybody in here go, yeah, I I could have done all that I've done in my Christian life by myself. Somebody probably led you to faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody probably, whether you called it this or not, has discipled you and mentored you and helped you along that path, both in encouragement as well as challenging you and encouraging you. And I look around at this church and I see all of that. And the ways that Paul has encouraged these believers, I can look at our church and thank 
God, for each and every one of you who come early and set up and serve and labor and give of yourself week after week after week. Those of you who have gone through providences of God and held on by faith with other people who have walked that path with you, who have brought you meals and cared for you and listened to you and encouraged you in the faith. It's a beautiful thing. This church has demonstrated that from where I sit, a people who serve, a people who give time, a people who partner and give money and resources for the gospel to go forth here and beyond, for your growth in faith, for the way that you desire to learn. I'm looking at faces right now all across the loom that are attentive to the word of God. That's a beautiful thing. I thank God for you. Who do you thank God for? Who in your life are you grateful for who has taught you, who is teaching you, who you learn from, who encourages you in faith? You see, part of praying and giving thanks, maybe we need to dust off our old journal and make a list of people that we want to be thankful to God for and realize that we're dependent upon God to bring people into our lives, to encourage us, to challenge us, even those people, yeah. We give God thanks for people. We give God thanks for providences. We give God thanks for provisions. But most importantly, we give God thanks for his gracious pardon. For his gracious pardon. If you know Jesus, you have a debt that sits on you. And he's taken that debt away because he's put it on Christ. And the New Testament says it in a couple of ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 or so, Paul says it this way. He, the context of the passage is he's talking about cheerful givers, financial givers to the church, and how that is thanksgiving to God because they're partnering with them with the gospel so the church can move forward. And then he takes this topic of giving, financial giving, and he ends the section just with a statement. And the statement is, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's talking about gifts that the church gives and how that's thanksgiving to God, and he flips it on its head. And he says, thanks be to God for his, that's Christ, his inexpressible, indescribable gift of Christ that we receive he says it this way in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, you receive Christ as you receive Christ as Lord. So you've received forgiveness from your debts that Christ has freely given you. So walk in them, rooted and built up, and him established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that you've received what Christ has given you, that you didn't deserve, that he gave you. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way. This is beautiful. The sting of death is sin. He's talking about the curse of death and sin that sits on us and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over sin, over death because of what Christ has done and that he's been raised from the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, doesn't look like Paul ever got over the good news of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes, if you've lived this Christian life very long, what happens is like, yeah, yeah, I know the gospel. I know the truth. But now I'm really focused on this other thing. He never got over the beauty of the gospel of Jesus 
and its ongoing work in our lives to continue to mold us into the image of the Son. I'm going to close with a story. There's a guy who was a missionary, missionary to India. He's a medical missionary. He's an ophthalmologist. He's an eye doctor. And he set up a medical mission in India in this place where it was pervasive that people would be born and they could see, and then progressively as they matured, like into their 20s, that they would lose their sight. And so it was a great place for him to go and set up a medical mission to help these people who are blind or becoming blind. And he figured out this procedure that he could work on this group of people in this place to help remove the problem of blindness that would happen to almost all of them. And as he tells the story, he said the people, as they would come, they knew that they were going to leave and no longer be blind, that they were going to see. They knew that even if they had small children, the procedure that he had would help them not become blind. But there was a problem that the people had. In their Indian dialect and what they spoke, they didn't have a word for thank you. They didn't have a word for give thanks. And so when they would leave, they would come to the doctor and his staff. And they would simply say this because this was part of their dialect. I will tell of your name. I will tell of the deeds that you have done. That's what giving thanks to God looks like. I will tell of your name. I will tell of what you are done. That's your takeaway today, C3. Tell of his name. Tell of what he has done. He gives you daily provision. He gives you providences that you may not like, but that are good and right for you. He gives you people in your life that help mold and shape you. And last but not least, he gives you pardon because you once were blind. And now you see. If you know Jesus, you once were spiritually blind. And now you see because the great physician has gone to work. He has changed your life. You can now see, and maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. And you are wandering around like the atheist, professor, trying to find answers. And I can tell you, I can tell you that he longs for you to come to him, for you come to his clinic and be given sight that only he can give you. And if you have been given the gift from the great physician to see, are you still seeing? Are you still seeing through the lens and the perspective of heaven about your provisions, about the people that God has put around you, about the providences that God has put before you, and about his pardon? Tell of his name. Tell of what he has done.